I'll give you a, a winter prediction. It's going to be cold. It's going to be gray. And it's going to last you for the rest of your life. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is episode 190 of Horror Movie Podcast, Winter Chills Part 1. That's Snow Ghost, and it's brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons and by Shudder, the Netflix for horror. You can try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D. D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. Typically on Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. This is Gilman Joel Robertson, and I'm joined by two of the hairiest snow beasts this side of the Mississippi. And they are... <laughs> Jesus... Uh, Dave, Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. Wolfman Josh, man, this ski trip's turned into a real scare trip. So we are here, we are doing Winter Chills Part 1. That's Snow Ghost, which is a Wolfman selection. So, Wolfman, would you like to maybe give us your reasoning behind why you'd want to do a Winter Chills episode, since we all know your favorite season of all is summer? I know it's weird, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just a big fan of this of this time of year, and we've done the last two years in a row, Winter with Stephen King. And so it's been really fun. Over two episodes, we did The Shining and Dreamcatcher and Storm of the Century and Misery over those two episodes. And those were just great. And I was kind of like looking forward to doing a show like that every year. So I thought, I'm going to dig into the pantheon of horror cinema and find all of the great winter horror movies and i was able to as i kind of went through it separate it into different lists i realized oh there are definite categories here so there are winter survival films there are climate change horror films there are abominable snowman films there are other non-yeti winter monster films um, isolated winter horror and so I, I kind of broke it down into all of these different categories and i just thought well this is cool we've got all of these movies here collected now we can just draw from this pool over the next couple of years. If you guys are interested, I personally like the idea. And so this year I thought, well, let's start with winter ghost stories. We just received an email from one of our listeners. This is from Pamela from Salem, Massachusetts. And Pamela sent us a pretty lengthy email about Christmas horror. And she talked about this, you know, concept of scary ghost stories. And I've mentioned this a few times over the years, and I think we talked about it even briefly this past Christmas episode, but the idea that ghost stories are intrinsically tied to the holiday season and how that seems kind of weird 
on one hand, but then as horror fans, it's something that's kind of been with me my whole life, whether it's Charles Dickens or Gremlins, scary stuff has always kind of been part of my holiday tradition. And so I like continuing that. And I thought, well, then what a better way than to start with winter set ghost stories. You know, it it is funny how it... The holiday season is even tied in, and I guess it's because of a Christmas carol. It's tied in with ghosts. There is something almost kind of magical about some of the ghost stories, you know? And and to, mm-hmm. to sort of delve into these winter ghost films, it sort of brings that to life, you know? I spent the last couple of days watching a few of these films, and uh, it's almost like it is. It's like an extension of the holiday season in a way. Not to pull my English major card, but to bring home the point you guys are making, there is a long literary tradition, you know, obviously even beyond A Christmas Carol of ghost stories being told that time of year, whether they were actually set at Christmas or not, just there's something about Christmas time and ghost stories. Uh, I, I know it ties into jolly old England to a large degree, and, and it just, mm-hmm. there is a, a long history of that. And, it, you know, it all makes a lot of sense too, because when you think about it now, being the Florida man (laughs) here on the show, (laughs) I will say that I relate to winter probably a lot like maybe someone from Australia does, right? Because so when they're having Christmas, it's summertime. And so even though here occasionally we might get down into the chilly 60s during Christmas, uh, we seldom, if ever, have (laughs) a snowy Christmas. But mm. it, it does. It is not lost on me that one of the benefits of any horror movie set during that time of year is the fact that it's just built in isolation. It is like your quickest, easy, aside from, you know, dark and stormy night, the most easy way, I would think, from a storytelling perspective to get your characters trapped in a very uncomfortable and dangerous situation is to have nature come in with a blizzard and you know put up eight feet of snow you're kind of stuck there's no way out a la the shiny right. so right. um yeah i mean i it, it lends itself to horror i think it's a wonderful theme and i am happy to continue them on i'm a little sad i missed out on those uh mainly just because any excuse i could have to talk about misery i will take but that aside um I am happy to do these as well, because I think there's looking through the list that you created, Josh, there are a ton of movies I've never seen, a lot I've heard of, and uh, uh, several that I have seen that I really like quite a bit. So I'm excited. Yeah, I started doing some research for our Christmas episode, and actually there is a academic in Dave's Neck of the Woods, Pennsylvania. It was an editor of a collection of these Victorian ghost Christmas stories. And I guess there are quite a few of them. My understanding is the reason that Dickens became so popular is similar to Night of the Living Dead. There was no copyright law back then. And so it was immediately plagiarized Mm -hmm. and there were plays made of his story and it was republished in the United States without any credit or monetary compensation. And it just kind of spread like wildfire, you know? So I think that's one of the reasons that that one has survived when maybe so many of the others had it. But I guess, yeah, there was especially this tradition of periodicals in that time, be it newspapers or magazines. So Pamela here in her email and i will read her entire email at the end of the show uh for those who want to stick around after the credits so to speak but i will just read this one paragraph here she says uh, christmas folklore has its monsters and evil beings meant to scare and terrify people on this joyous time of year look at krampus the slavic shadow of santa who takes bad girls and boys away to hell or la Bethana, the christmas witch the italian crone who visits children on the epiphany 
the Yule Goat, although a benevolent creature, is pretty scary looking and roams the forest in December, nope. especially during the winter solstice. Many European countries have some sort of goat figure, creature of the night woods, mm-hmm. or anti-Santa to correspond with the pagan celebration of the solstice, the longest night of the year, which is so familiar to Samhain, or as Joel correctly pronounces it. Samhain. Sawin, yeah. Yeah. In terms of the lifting of the veil between the dark world and the light to come once solstice is passed, one internet search will show you all the evil and scary beings associated with this time of year, rooted in pagan beliefs and connected to traditional Christian celebrations of Christmas. Anyway, yeah, so I, I think I love all of those things we've talked about. I think there's the winter survival. There's the isolation of the cold in the winter. But yeah, I think uh, starting here with scary ghost stories was something I thought could be a lot of fun and i think for me the defining wintry ghost story is the shining i mean if we're going to get out of the christmas mode for a minute here i think it doesn't get better than that basically uh, you know i don't i don't know if there's any other winter set ghost story that even comes close to the shining for me but there are right. a lot of other fun films that deal with versions of ghosts or demons coming up around the winter season well would you guys like to uh go through and maybe discuss some of those examples the shining was really the first one i kind of could think of i don't know if there are earlier versions there probably are um ghost story was in 1981 we're going to be talking about that tonight uh the chill factor 1993 we're going to be talking about that tonight sometimes they come back for more 1998 (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) have you guys seen any of the sometimes they come back yes i've seen the first one and i believe i saw the second one and i very much remember the video box for this one i may have even seen this because you know even in by the this time was it 98 or so when that went late 90s right Mm -hmm. when that came out i would have been renting a lot of things that were coming out just, you know, just because. And I'm sure, I feel like I had to have seen this one. Who is the actress that started? Do you remember offhand? Faith Ford. Faith Ford. Okay. Because wasn't she known more for like sitcoms and things? Um, oh, she was on uh, Murphy Brown. That's what I knew her from. Oh. Uh, she was Corky yeah. Sherwood. Because I remember it also being a big deal that she was then in this movie. And I remember reading about it in Fango. Um, I also had Clayton Roner in it, who was in April Fool's Day and just one of the guys. I don't think it's connected. I mean, I think they do actually make an effort to connect it to the original mythology of the first Stephen King story, but I don't, you know, it's a very, very loose connection to what that original film would have been. But according to IMDb, it says on an Arctic Circle radio shack, an ancient evil lurks ready to strike at a psychologist, an army man, and their collective forces. So looks exciting. Uh, it is on Prime for three ninety nine. If anyone wants to report and tell us what they thought of, sometimes they come back for more. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to say free, and I would have totally been happy to do it. <laughs> um, Dead End and Windchill. That's a two thousand three film, and kind of a even though the first film has American actors, it's a French film, right? The two thousand three mm-hmm. film, and the Windchill is an American remake of basically the same story. I think those are both pretty good films. We've talked about Windchill. Mm-hmm several times on the podcast. I don't know if we've ever done a full review of Dead End. And we should. Yeah, and I've never seen Windchill, but I did see Dead End when it came out, and I remember I specifically remember Ray Wise and Lynn Shea and uh, how good they were. I, I, I remember it being a pretty effective little horror film. Absolutely, and it got Second Life, I believe, on home video. I, I, I don't know that it did anything theatrically, but it made like $77 million in home video, I think I saw somewhere. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, so that's where I saw it. It was really, really popular, and um, I, I really enjoy it. I love it a lot. Yeah, it's it's one probably we should talk about. That's I believe a 
kind of a Christmas movie as well, right? Or at least a holiday season film. Yep. So. Yep. Absolutely. Christmas Eve, I believe. Also on the list here, I have Antarctic Journal and The Last Winter. Antarctic Journal is arguably a survival film. They're both arguably climate change films. They both have this concept where the people are kind of slowly going insane and you don't know if you know if they're crazy or if there's something after them. But there's like a ghost, but it could just be uh, in their mind. So not exactly what I was looking for in this category, but uh, maybe worth bringing up. Whisper to me seems like the quintessential kind of creepy winter ghost story. And it seems very similar actually to Shut In from 2016, another film on this list. Um, but this one has sinister things begin happening to kidnappers who are holding a young boy for ransom at a remote cabin. And basically these kidnappers take this boy to the cabin and then he's an evil little... <laughs> <laughs> trouble ensues so. I, I love this cast man yeah they, right? michael rooker josh holloway sawyer mm-hmm. from loss is in it sarah wayne callies from uh, walking dead and prison break is in it yep. this is this is great yeah do so. hill and joel edgerton my gosh so if you uh, get the free trial to stars on amazon you can watch that one for free so somebody let us know about whisper he even has john capalos in it carl from breakfast club remember the janitor oh yeah, of oh. course. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, wow. I've got to say, I'm going to put this on my short list. I watched the trailer. It looked pretty good. Okay, Necrosis is the next one here on my list. Um, a bunch of friends go to a cabin in the woods, and here they're haunted by the resurrected ghosts of the Donner Party. So hmm. that looks kind of exciting. Watching the trailer, yeah, it looks like maybe they're even zombies or... You know, they're physically present there, but oh, wow. uh, the poster is pretty cool looking, you know, just imagining the ghost of the Donner party. Mm-hmm. It could be a fun one. And it has the great Michael Berryman in it. So I'm sold. Yeah, that is fantastic. And uh, doesn't it have Tiffany Shepis too in there? Uh, not, I don't think it's Tiffany Shepis. I think it's Tiffany as in, I think we're alone now. Oh, pop star Tiffany. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's exciting. <laughs> Well, that's maybe worth finding as well. Michael um, Berryman and and Tiffany the pop star. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm down for Good it. Combo. Good combo. Avalanche Sharks 2014. Now, technically, <laughs> that's fantastic. They, uh, those sharks are brought about by some sort of Native American chant that brings these snow shark ghosts back to the mountain. <laughs> They're ghosts. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know exactly what's happening. I feel they, like you could pretty much just get by if you're going to call your movie Avalanche Sharks. Like that's full stop. You don't need to make them ghosts. You don't need to involve right. Native American <laughs> lore. You could just have sharks in the snow, and you're pretty much good to go. <laughs> I have seen the movie, but I I don't remember this particular of that aspect. Although they do come out of nowhere. One of the first scenes is priceless you know just these people in a hot tub surrounded by snow and then suddenly a shark just comes blasting up out of the hot tub and eats them and then disappears wow we are still here yes 2015 joel's Mm. gonna talk a little bit about that we've already done reviews dave and i believe but we're gonna do a post-mortem with joel yes and uh shut in from 2016 which i previously mentioned with naomi watts one that i kind of wanted to see but not enough to pay the money for I, I remember that movie just being lambasted. And I think, didn't Jay like it? Was it Jay? Yeah. yeah I figured yeah. That somebody I remember on the show liked it. And I remember thinking, okay, maybe I'll give this a chance. And then it just, you know, life went by and I, it slipped off my radar and I forgot to watch it. That again looks like kind of a quintessential example of what a uh, winter ghost tale might be. But I guess what I took away from this list is there aren't a lot of great titles. Yeah. And this, it, it seems like something that would right. be a classic 
horror tale, but there really are so few of them. I mean, I guess it's classic in terms of literature, but in terms of film, mm-hmm. there aren't a lot. And The Shining, it weirdly also being such a classic horror film, to not have any real copies of that come to be, um, it's kind of shocking, actually, that we don't see more of this stuff. But. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And, and to your point about the there being plenty of literary examples, hey, Hollywood, here's a thought. Take some of those, <laughs> modernize <Yeah>. them, <laughs> adapt them, yeah. and make new ones. There you go. All right. So do you guys want to then uh, move into our feature reviews? Yeah. Are you ready to go deeper into the, the world of ghosts and, and wintry tales? Absolutely. All right. So then first up for our feature review is Ghost Story. I will take you places where you have never I will show you things that you've never seen. And I will see the life run out of you. Long ago, on a cold, dark night, in this peaceful New England village, something happened. Something too terrifying to remember. Something too frightening to forget. Something that has remained a secret until now. Anyone else seeing these? Am I the only one having nightmares? Universal Pictures presents Fred Astaire, Melvin Douglas, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., John Hausman, Ghost Story, from the terrifying best-selling novel by Peter Straub. Who's this? He's not a picture of her. That's not possible. The girl, the men, the evil, silence. Dad, I'm telling you something happened. I'm telling you something. I think he may have been murdered. The house, the fear, the nightmares, the vengeance, the terror, the truth. Not now, Rick. Yes, now. Something's happening. Something terrible. I fear that more of us are going to die. No, we 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 must talk about it. Ah, uh, she is not the person you think she is. Who are you? Oh, no, please, let's not stop. She's worried you have the wrong idea about her. Everything about her is wrong. No, please, please let me talk about her. Get away from her, Dave. (laughs) What are you? She's dangerous. Listen to me, please. Soon they will learn that they have never been forgiven. <laughs> Ghost story. The time has come to tell the tale. All right, Ghost Story from 1981. Uh, now, this is a movie that we did review once before, back on episode number 115, uh, which was a listener's pick episode. Uh, Jay had reviewed it on the recommendation of Allison with a Y, actually. Oh, interesting. Uh, now, Jay gave it a 4.5. And even though I didn't give an official rating on that episode, I had reviewed it on DVD Infatuation a few years earlier. And I'm sure I chimed in with a few thoughts on the movie um, you know, during that, uh, during that particular show. Now, on that initial viewing, well, on that viewing, I shouldn't say initial. I had seen it, I'm pretty sure, on cable back in the early 80s. But on that rewatch when I reviewed it on the blog, I got to say, I, I was initially, I was disappointed. I did like the performances by the four 
I guess, Hollywood legends, namely Fred Astaire, John Houseman, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., and Melvin Douglas. Uh, I also thought Craig Watson was pretty good. I'm, he was in the Nightmare on Elm Street 3, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But uh, especially Alice Krieg. Sleepwalkers. Woot, woot. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was really impressed with Alice Krieg. Quick synopsis. It's based on a Peter Straub novel of the same name. It centers on the Chowder Society, which is an exclusive club that for the last 50 years has been meeting in the sleepy New England town of Milburn to exchange scary stories. Uh, the members of the club are uh, Sears James, played by John Houseman, Ricky Hawthorne, played by Fred Astaire, Dr. John Jaffrey, Melvin Douglas, and Milburn's mayor, actually, Edward Wanderley, played by Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And they assemble once a week to try to scare each other. And yet there's one story they refuse to tell. And that's what happened to Eva Galley, a girl they had all befriended back in the 1930s. For the last five decades, these four men have kept quiet about the fate of this young woman. But then they start having nightmares, each kind of tying back, I guess, in one way or another to Eva Galley. And they kind of realize that their past is catching up with them. And then Edward Wanderley's son, David, is uh, falls through a window at his penthouse and actually dies. This happens at the very beginning. It's not a spoiler. It happens at the you know beginning of the movie. And at that point, the mayor contacts his other son, Donald, also played by Craig Wasson, and asks him to return home. Well, it turns out that Donald had a connection with a woman. Uh, he was a teacher, and at the uh, at the college he was teaching, he had struck up a romance with this uh, woman named Alma Mobley, played by Alice Krieg. And he comes to realize that there was something strange about Alma initially, and maybe she ties into this whole mystery of Eva Galley and what happened with his father back in the 1930s. Now, the four elder statesmen of this film, by the time they had made this movie, they had like 200 plus years of Hollywood experience between them. And I thought all of them were good. They all gave great performances. And as did, I thought Craig Watson was pretty good too. He can be a little hit and miss for me. I'm not but a fan I, of his. Uh, he, body I, double. I mean, I like body double, but I will give him this. He adds something that nobody else would. He, he's doing something no one else would do. Right. His, his line readings and reactions are always puzzling to me. <laughs> so, but at the same time, it's like, well, it's at least unique, you know? Well, I like him in Nightmare 3, by gum. But it's really Alice Krieg, who she even outshines some of the the Hollywood legends in this movie, in my opinion. I thought she was just excellent. She plays a dual role like Craig Watson does in this film. She really surprises you in the film because she plays it kind of just like this, oh, this wistful woman who any man can fall in love with and just seems like such an outdated kind of cliche thing. But then she really turns that performance and takes control of the role. And the duality of that is really cool to watch. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to go back to my review on the blog for this next part, because I do say that I, I didn't think the movie had a lot other than the performances at that time. I thought the story kind of meandered a bit. And it took too long to get us from one point to the next. There were all of the scenes seemed to run a little too long. And I also thought it had characters that brought nothing to the table. Now I hadn't read the novel. So maybe in the novel, they were more important. There's these two escapees from a mental institution who help 
the quote unquote ghost of the film. What are they even doing there? Yeah. Um, and I was able to figure out what was going on fairly early. It wasn't much of a mystery. Now, it has some effective jump scares. There's no doubt about it. And some effective uh, creepy scenes. Now, this time, though, I did just watch it again the other night, keeping the theme of this particular show in mind, and that's the snowy landscape. And I will say that the production design in general, I thought was superb. There are two great scenes in the snow, one in the first half with uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And then one towards the end with John Houseman. And there's this creepy old house that kind of plays into the story as well. And, and we do go to the past at one point and see the house before it got creepy back when it was kind of in its glory in the 1930s. And I thought it was equally as impressive. Oh, yeah. So that was it was interesting to, to look at it again in that regard, because you really do. And I remember talking, uh, going back and forth with uh, listener David uh, from England, and he had mm -hmm. uh, brought up about how he really thought it captured the town. Yeah. And I agree. I think it did. I think it, if that's probably a, a, even a bigger strength in the performances is just the overall production design and how it used the snow. And it's not all set in the snow. There are some scenes set in what I'm assuming is the spring or even the summer. Because there are two um, lengthy flashback scenes. Yes. Yes, and, exactly. And, and each of those goes on for quite a while and are not even in – one of them is not even in the town. It's in a totally separate location. Right. Exactly. Uh, but I was really impressed by that aspect of the film, uh, watching it again to, to the point that I almost want to go back and sort of alter my review uh, to include something about that uh, because um, – uh, I was just really impressed with it. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because I absolutely loved this movie watching it experientially, but I didn't mm -hmm. have any baggage. Right. So like I didn't know the novel and I, and I've seen a lot of people who love the novel, hate this movie. In fact, pastor Matt, who's a listener of our show and also the host of his own excellent podcast. Um, I was looking at his letterbox review and he seemed really annoyed. He thought this was just a terrible adaptation of this book that he loves, you know, which is interesting because without that baggage, without really knowing anything about this movie coming to it totally late, it just feels like an undiscovered gem to me. It feels like one of those movies you're like, Oh, this is so cool. I'd never heard about this. It's kind of my wheelhouse of things I enjoy and it's not perfect. It's got, you know, it could be better, but it was, really enjoyable for what it is you know and so i just was coming down it from a very different um perspective i think i think what you said um about it capturing the town is very true you know i i remember there's an early scene with the mayor walking down the street in the snow across right. this bridge and i was watching that scene and just thinking wow you know i mean it really made me think what would it be like to live in a place like this and just live your whole life in a place like this and you know, it really had me thinking about that, especially later as the film goes on. The characters are talking about this. Are you going to stay here your whole life? Oh, no, I'm going to go on and do this with my life and that with my life. I don't know. It was so interesting to see that snapshot of this place and how uh, these characters, the lives kind of turned out in that setting. I really liked it. It reminded me a lot of Stephen King, especially even yeah. with those two kind of escaped convict characters you were referring to. That also felt a little... Stephen King, something that in a novel maybe 
makes a lot more sense than it would in the film adaptation and should maybe be cut out, you know? Right. That, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking they, these two characters, they just, they didn't fit in this telling of the story, right. um, you know, at all. And it's, and it's interesting, it's, you, you know, how you talk about how, you know, in one of the flashbacks, one of the characters is saying, no, I'm leaving this town behind. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting yeah. far away from here. I'm, I'm going to get out and see the world. And, to realize that how, you know, one event can just keep you from ever going anywhere. And I think that's what happens with the character. That's the character who ends up being the mayor of this town. Right. The one who said that in the flashback, he ends up being the mayor. Uh, And I thought that that was kind of interesting how these four men who could have gone, I mean, you know, they were obviously had a bright future ahead of them. If you look at in this, in this flashback scene, how they just, that one event just, tied them to the point that they're now all four of them are together and they're almost going to stay together no matter what, you know, that this club is important to them. And then telling these scary stories and everything is, has become a tradition. And, and it's, it even adds a little level of, of creepiness to that. If you think about it as to, as to what they experienced in the past, that now they spend their uh, one day a week, just trying to scare each other with, uh, with ghost stories. Yeah. Which doesn't make a ton of sense to me, to be honest, understanding what their backstory is. That's another one of those things I thought, this seems actually like a weird choice, right. knowing what they've been through and what they're going to be going through. And Yeah. I, I do want to pipe in real quick, guys, and tell you, just on a, on a personal note, this movie is one of my, I don't know if I'd call it deep shames, because I've never seen it, but it's a movie think- that was always on my radar. It was always on the periphery for me. I think it's like Fangoria number 16. The cover is for Ghost Story, and there's a female corpse who, just looking at it, even though it's pretty gnarly looking, I can kind of <laughs> guess who's what character it's supposed to be. Uh, but right. uh, So don't look right. at that if you really don't want spoilers for Ghost Story. Um, but <laughs> the, the thing is, it was always very much in my awareness. In fact, I remember seeing probably the first... 10, 15 minutes, because I remember the older men together and, and you know, I remember that aspect of it and the book as well. I remember it was a book I started reading and I probably got like to the first 50 pages or so, but I never like it's just I started it and it didn't do it. I just, you know, I was, I guess, more into King than Straub. I don't know. So I guess I never read the talisman either. And I just was you know i just didn't get into either both the movie or the book but they were always there i was always aware of them i always loved the poster it's like that minimalist black with just the yeah. white house i love that poster for its simplicity i um, always remember that poster oh you know, sure. yeah and the book i think the book cover like the one well, of the original paperbacks yeah. had that and the thing about the book that i remember throwing me because i think i had tried starting the book before the movie which is actually usually the reverse of how i do things but I had started it and without giving too much away, I remember it's dealing with like a kidnapping or like there's a kid and there's a guy and you get the impression like maybe he's been kid. I feel like that was an element of it. So those of you out there who love the book could probably uh, correct me on that if I'm completely wrong. And I remember I'd started the movie. It felt like this is like nothing. Like I, I didn't even get how there was any connection. So I don't know if that plays into the movie or not, uh, but I will say that this movie I have to make a priority because there's just certain movies from this era. I wouldn't call Ghost Story in my mind as a classic, but it's so it was like there's so many movies that maybe didn't hit the level of like a shining or Friday the 13th, but they were always there. And I was always aware of them mm-hmm. and I was meant right. to see them. And a lot of them I got to. But this was just one of those that psh, slipped off the radar and I never saw it. And I did what I mentioned behind the camera, behind the behind the scenes. There are some straight up legends 
involved in this movie. Yeah, Jack Cardiff uh, was the cinematographer, yes. and he mm-hmm. had worked in. In um, I mean, he made w- what I think is one of the most beautiful um, movies ever made. And I wish I never started this because I can't remember the damn title now. No, that's okay. He it's, did a lot. He a, did a it's lot. It's a pal, pre- a pal pre- Black Nar- uh, 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 Black Narcissus. Yes, Black Narcissus. Uh, yes, Pal Pressburger. Yes, yes. and uh, I think he might have also <laughs> done. Uh, I the can't Red Shoes. Yeah. Oh wow, he did. He had the red shoes, the African yep. queen. Yeah, I yeah. saw the African yeah, he, queen. Well, and, yeah. and specifically, I was also thinking about Rick Baker, Dick Smith. That's right. Yeah. They were involved in the makeup, and so was Steve Johnson. Uh, I think to a lesser degree, but he was involved with it. Um, and uh, in stunts, Dick Warlock, the wow. shape from oh. Halloween Two, was one of the oh, wow. uh, yeah, was one of the stunt people nice. involved. Yeah. And Albert Albert Whitlock had done the visual effects, and every time I, I every time I see that name, I think of Mel Brooks's high anxiety. <laughs> I did want to mention for Ghost Story, it takes place in New England, but according to IMDb, it was shot in White River Junction, Vermont, Woodstock, Vermont, Albany, New York, and Saratoga Springs, New York, and then the summertime scenes were shot in Los Angeles, California, and Deland, Florida. Oh, really? So, yeah. My my, yeah. my wife's uh, grandmother lives in Deland, and that was where my dad was born. That's cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Excellent. Deland aside, I, th- I think uh, the winter scenes just look amazing in this movie. Yeah, that's very cool. Absolutely. All right. So you guys have any other things you want to say about Ghost Story before we wrap up this feature review? You know what? I'm I'm going to come in a little higher. I, I think I was always. I don't remember. I didn't review it. I, at least it's not uh, listed that I gave this uh, rating on episode 115. But I'm going to say this is probably a, a, a 6.5 for me out of 10, and I think it's worth a rental. Absolutely. And Joel, I would definitely recommend seeing it. Yes, I am. Uh, you know, sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Josh. Yeah, I really enjoyed Ghost Story again. I didn't have any backstory with this film so i was just coming to a fresh and it felt like a really enjoyable little ghost tale i really love the setting and the snow i felt like you know it was weird to see elderly men kind of as the final girls in, in a film <laughs> i thought that was kind of fun you don't see that very often it's like if you want to see uh i know what you did last summer but instead of with like hot 90s tv actors just replace them with elderly gentlemen of a bygone era. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like that's what you're getting here. There's right. also that really nice, like Mary Shelley opening. And as Dave's kind of alluded to like the storytelling, it feels like kind of what we were talking about in the introduction to the themed episode, people sitting around and telling ghost stories to each other around the fireplace. You know, that's what they were doing in, in the days before television as <laughs> people <laughs> sat around and, and talked to each other, uh, you know, after the harvest was done as the, as the days were getting shorter. So I, I love that aspect of it as well. It feels kind of like there were a few <laughs> murder. She wrote episodes where, um, I don't know, maybe Angela Lansbury needed a day off or something, but it would be a completely separate story. And it would be like maybe within the a book Jessica had written. So Jessica it would start with like Jessica being like, I'm going to read for, to you from one of the books I've written. <laughs> and then we'll like go into the story. And then it would and occasionally it would have some voiceover narration from Jessica, but mostly it would be like totally different characters. Never seen them before. They have nothing to do with Cabot Cove. Yeah. You know, it's like they just got a hold of some script that they liked and decided to 
to try to find, figure out a way to use it. It's kind of what this felt like to me a little bit. Um, you know, had this been a murder show episode, we would have figured out who the person behind the ghost was the whole time. It wasn't really a ghost, you know, but, but this one was, so <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to you. Um, it's not a, a fantastic film. I don't think it's a classic, but I think it's worth a watch. And I, I was going to give it a seven, but I think you're right, Dave. I think this is about in the 6.5 range for me and I'll call it a rental. All right. So now that wraps up our feature review of Ghost Story from 1981. And now we will go into Wolfman Josh's feature review of Ghost Keeper from 1982. Come on, beauty. Up on your feet. Am I okay? Except for the... uh Crooked nose, the two teeth that are missing, and the scar on the left side. Seriously? It's a cinch all three of us can't go on that one. Well, what do we have here? Doesn't exactly look ready for the weekend crowd, does it? According to this, nobody's checked in in nearly five years. Then why is it warm in here? You can't stay here. You've got to go now. Then what are you doing here? I ask the questions. <gasps> You killed that guy. Forget that now. That's over. Forget it. So Ghost Keeper is a movie I was super excited to watch. To me, this was like the perfect fit for something I wanted out of this type of um, themed episode from the IMDb synopsis. This is three friends on a new year's Eve snowmobiling excursion, find themselves stranded at an abandoned lodge where the elderly female innkeeper is concealing a sinister secret. Mm. That elderly old lady is the ghost keeper. It says in the opening credits as the <laughs> ghost keeper, <laughs> the opening credits of the film. So I was like, Ooh, that's going to be exciting. Um, it's bad. It's a really low budget movie. And it turns out this was like one of those tax shelter movies where they're just like trying to spend the money, um, probably for a mafia organization. <laughs> Allegedly. And, yeah. And they <laughs> ran out of money during the production and weren't able to finish it and had to jump through a bunch of hoops in order to get it completed i love that about this movie uh-huh. <laughs> because they just didn't have enough money to finish shooting all the scenes that they shot so they were kind of just making up the second half as they went along so you do see like kind of a transition in the film where it starts making less and less sense the further you get in the film you don't you only really see the monster once maybe twice and it just looks like a guy with some dirt on his face <laughs> so <laughs> And this film was shot in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. Lake Louise, Alberta. So some kind of bougie city folk are out on an expedition on their snowmobiles. And they are staying at a kind of a swank lodge, but they're out kind of exploring. It is New Year's Eve, actually, as this film is taking place. Although that doesn't really play into the plot. They do mention it. And... They arrive at a little country store and kind of try to mess with the shopkeeper. The main guy, he is just kind of a creep and he likes to mess with people. And so he starts messing with the shopkeeper. He's like, hey, when's the whittling contest around here? And the shopkeeper just kind of blows him off. He's like, listen, kids, like there's a storm rolling in. If you want to avoid the storm, you need to hit the road and get back to your lodge before nightfall. Don't really take him seriously. 
and they ride off on their snowmobiles and they keep exploring and they go past signs that say do not enter and they get stuck in a place where uh, their snowmobiles crap out. The storm's coming in and they have no other option but to go into this abandoned lodge. Well, I mean, luckily there is this lodge there and they go in and, hey, it's warm. Someone's been here recently. And so they check it out. Now, this is a boyfriend, a girlfriend, and then kind of a third wheel. And this third wheel is really into the guy. And she's making advances on the guy the entire time. And the guy is cool with it. (laughs) So (laughs) they are having this kind of love triangle going on at the same time. And in the lodge, they find Georgie Collins, the ghost keeper. And she's hiding out in this lodge. And she, you know gives them shelter and some food, but they will eventually have to deal with the ghost keeper and the in quotes ghost that she is keeping and as well as some other challenges. And in terms of the genre, it is a little confusing because it's supposed to be a Wendigo movie, I think, which for me, I would think borderline monster movie, but uh, they're playing it as though it's more of the spiritual angle of the ghost, but due to their, low budget it looks more like one of the key grips is just <laughs> in the basement eating raw meat <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then it kind of functions as a low-level slasher and again they were kind of making it up as they went along so i understand like, it was watchable for me and i think people who are into movies that are so bad they're good i wouldn't go quite that far i don't know if it's quite so bad that it's good but it, it, if you don't mind kind of a b c d level horror film but it is still kind of fun to watch the characters are so outlandish and some of the dialogue is just like mind-boggling the things that this boyfriend says to his girlfriend he's such a jerk you know i thought as i was watching this the ladies who did black christmas should remake this movie (laughs) (laughs) i get one for them to remake Mm -hmm. but um yeah i thought it was fun i would give this one a 4.5 probably in terms of quality but i did like it and so i'd call it a low priority rental it is streaming on amazon if you want to watch it it's pretty easy to catch it's funny because i i for the listeners out there, we have this document that we use to plan out the shows and list the different movies that we want to mm-hmm. review and whatnot. And I had logged in a few days ago and I saw, you know, Josh had Ghostkeeper there that he was going to talk about. And I put my name next to it because I realized I watched this movie in July. Um, <laughs> and I said, oh, you know what? I could join in on this review. And then about an hour later, I went in and removed my name because I said, I don't remember a damn thing about it. <laughs> I remember the snowmobile scenes. I remember them in the hotel. I'm going, I watched this movie six months ago, and I don't feel comfortable (laughs) sitting here doing a review of it. (laughs) But I I will agree with you. I mean, that boyfriend, and when you were talking about the scene with the shopkeeper, yeah, and the shopkeeper just didn't pay any attention to this guy. I thought that was the funny (laughs) part. Like, this guy's just being a jerk, and the shopkeeper's just totally ignoring him um, and even tries to help them out. Um, but I, it's funny. I just don't remember a lot about the movie. I was going to say, it is interesting. Paul Zaza, the guy who did the music, he did music for prom night, my bloody Valentine curtains, uh, a Christmas story. 
And this guy, all the all the Prime Night movies, it looks like. Wow. Yeah, man. So yeah, it's got some kind of cool connection. Well, he's a Canadian composer. Yeah, so he's like tied into this probably Canadian network of films. There was some kind of controversy that he used the music from this film in Prom Night Two, or reused some Prom Night music in in this movie, something like that. I don't know what okay. the details were, but I did as I was reading up on the movie notice that there was some kind of controversy with this film's music and one of the Prom Night films' music as well. I'm going to have to check this one out, though. I, I, I have a soft spot for movies like this. Those, as you put it, those tax shelter movies. There's just something about yeah. them. There's a <laughs> there's a quality. Sometimes they turned out well. Sometimes not so well. Right. What I have to say is what I love about Josh's reviews. They're very unpredictable. Like if your reviews were a movie, Josh, I would be on the edge of my seat because you started off with this movie's bad. I'm like, ah, oh, great. OK, right. I was actually reading through this thinking, oh, this looks good. But then as you talk and talk and talk, you're like, yeah, but it's fun. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then 4.5. I'm like, what? What is happening? What is happening? I, I know it's it's very it's interesting because it's it's uh, Josh Josh's reviews are, are I equate to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. From the start, you have no idea where you're going to get to at the end. And by the end, you you're no you're screaming and you're and you're, right? <laughs> and you're exactly. You're like, what? You're going mad. Uh, and, yeah. and it's it's funny because I remember I don't remember disliking this movie i don't it's just I, I not don't memorable remember. it's just not memorable in general i i you know and i it wasn't until i saw that title. Do enough to make you dislike it that's the problem you <laughs> right. know like, yeah <laughs> right exactly now, was, because what was there could have been fun it was going in an interesting direction if they'd have the budget i think they actually could have pulled this movie off the directors even talked about potentially doing a sequel down the line which i think is hilarious uh, <laughs> like there would be interest in a sequel for this film yes. but it does have a blu-ray so you know you never know and it's free on prime i don't know if you said that already but it is free it looks yeah. like yeah i watched it for an episode of land of the creeps and i don't even think i ended up talking about it on that episode <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah not a great film, but I, I I think it's actually a great double feature with another film I'm talking about later. So if you are considering watching this movie, keep that in mind when we get later into the show. It could be fun. This actually has another thing in common with the other film. This would be a great double feature with later. This is the most sensual bathtub scene that is zero nudity I've ever seen. <laughs> <in my life. laughs> There's a selling point. Yeah. Jeez, I wish I remember that. Yeah. So I'm assuming, Dave, you do not want to uh, give a rating... <laughs> recommendation no i don't feel qualified even though i watched the movie six months ago i don't feel qualified i don't remember enough about it i gotcha okay that's fair well josh based on uh, on the plot twists of your review i am in fact planning on at least trying to catch us but i probably will try to watch ghost story first all right well then that wraps up josh's feature review of ghost keeper from 1982 all right so now we're going to go into our shutter sponsored screaming online segment All right, welcome to Screaming Online, brought to you by AMC Network Shudder. As you know, it's a premium streaming video service we like to call the Netflix for horror. First of all, okay, now there's a lot we're going to talk about during the Shudder Sponsored Screaming Online segment. There's one thing I want to talk to you guys about up front. There's a new series that Shudder is distributing in the United States I'm super excited about. It's based on a film that a friend of mine directed. It's about some Pacific Islander warriors in ancient New Zealand. And it's kind of in the style of Apocalypto, although much lower budget, that film. This television series 
uses that film as a jumping off place and adds another supernatural element to it. So it is maybe a better fit for a shutter in its audience. It still is a little bit of a reach for them, but it's exciting. And I hope people will check it out again. It's called the deadlands. I'm going to read their promotion for it here. Cause I think it's cool and worth checking out. The deadlands premiering on January 23rd features a slain Mori warrior, Wakunuku Ra'u, who's been sent back to the world of the living to redeem his sins. But the world Waku returns to is ravaged by a breach between that of the living and of the dead, as the spirits of the newly deceased now stalk the land and hunt its inhabitants. Follow Waka and his companion Mehe as they work to close the rift and restore balance. The series presents elements of action, adventure, and supernatural, and was produced with a special focus on the heritage of the indigenous Mori tribe of New Zealand. Catch new episodes streaming every Thursday. And I've seen the first three episodes and they're awesome. I hope people will check them. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I'm writing it down right now, man. I'd actually really like to watch that. I'm pretty sure I saw the movie, The Deadlands. I liked it. You know, again, it was, they didn't have a ton of money to work with, but it was the first movie in the Modi language. It's really cool um, in terms of the mythology and stuff that's based on. And it takes place pre contact with Europeans um, in the Pacific. And so just some really cool warrior culture stuff. This one, again, adds a, new aspect of the supernatural that the other film kind of toyed with. This one goes there with the supernatural elements. Very cool. That's awesome. So Shudder, as you guys know, is a cool streaming service for horror fans and thriller fans. You can get for $5.99 per month or $56.99 per year. And you can extend your regular seven-day trial to a free 30-day trial if you sign up using our promo code HMP. More about that later in the show. Shutter is something you can stream on all of your devices from your Apple devices to Android devices, Apple TV, Xbox One, Amazon Fire, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. We are going to talk about three films that we're really in love with right now that are on Shutter, but I wanted to tell you about some other Shutter original content right now. We've got the Creep Show series. I don't know if people have checked that out. I absolutely love that. It's produced by Greg Nicotero. Two films that were high on our list and our listeners lists this last year in our top 10 list where tigers are not afraid and one cut of the dead. Both of those are shutter exclusives. Also making an appearance on our list was the documentary horror noir, which is a shutter original documentary and a film that came up very high on Dave's list. The night night shifter. Yep. So uh, that's a shutter exclusive also. Yeah. Yeah. Those are definitely some films you're going to want to check out. If you are listening to our top 10 horror movies of 2019 show tonight, we are going to talk about three films that we're really excited about. And each of us will do a little mini review here. I'll go first. I'm going to talk about a film called the mind's eye. Now this was from the director of another shutter exclusive film called bliss Joe Begos. This was one of his earlier films and It's a film that seems like it takes a lot from scanners, like it might exist in the same uh, world as as scanners. Uh, Basically, uh, you've got this main character, Zach Connors. He is captured and taken to what is supposed to be a rehabilitation center, but he quickly finds out is that it's a place for people with psychokinetic uh, capabilities. And he stays there because he's told a young lady who he is really fond of Rachel Meadows is also in this facility. And if he goes to the facility, he'll be able to see her. And so he goes there and they start doing tests on him. He's played by Graham Skipper. And we also see that they are doing tests on his his girlfriend or an Ashley Carter. And, 
both of them are dying to see each other and neither of them are allowed any contact with the other. And the evil doctor, Dr. Michael Slavik, um, he has something up his sleeve and we're not exactly sure what. Basically, this film follows these two characters as they decide, you know what, we've had enough of this. We are going to use our psychic abilities and bust out of this place and lots of exploding body parts. <laughs> <laughs> hey folks, sorry to break in. I, I mean, how dare I interrupt the Wolfman during one of his classic plot twist movie reviews, but we had a technical issue. The service we were using decided that we were actually cruising at such a wonderful pace that things were going so smoothly that it was going to have to just die on us. So we had to switch over. We're now using something else. We're using Skype now. So we do apologize for any discrepancy in the audio quality for anybody, but we wanted to make sure we got this show out to you. And now we will resume your regularly scheduled program. Thank you, Joel. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry about the audio quality change, if there has been any. Um, I don't remember exactly what I was saying, other than there are some amazing gore effects in the film. They're just a lot of fun. They're campy, but they're actually extremely well done. So I have to hand it to this team. There is one effect featuring Jeremy Gardner, who's one of my favorite indie filmmakers. He also has a role in Bliss, and he's here in this film as kind of a security guard character. And there is this practical effects scene with Jeremy Gardner that is one of the cooler uh, gore kills I've seen in a long time. It is really awesome. And this film, just generally, I think if you were a fan of Bliss, you know, Joe Bagos is kind of the it horror film director of the moment with 2019's Bliss and 2020's VFW. I think if you are someone who has not seen his earlier work, Almost Human from 2013, and then this film, The Mind's Eye, you'll see some growth. You know, these are not quite as good as his newer films, but you'll see elements of the guy you like. Uh, you know, it's here. You can see that he was well on his way to being the filmmaker that um, he is today. This one's mostly set indoors, but there are some great scenes out in the snow. The first opening scene is out in the snow when our main character, Zach, is attacked uh, and he uses his telekinesis to protect himself. There are some cool scenes along the way out in the snow as well. Uh, this film was shot in Rhode Island, so it's got a very cool look to it that's unique. And I always appreciate that when we get a world that isn't exactly like every other Hollywood movie. So, yeah, that was a really cool element. Like seeing Jeremy Gardner. I like to see Noah Sagan from Brick and Loopers in this film. And Larry Fessenden has a really good role in this. I love his role in this. It's small as a lot of his cameos are. But man, I think that was maybe one thing I would have done is extended his part of the film because he's great in this movie. But yeah, uh, it's a good time. And it's just some really fun filmmaking here. The writing, I would say, is kind of the most clunky element. And again, it, you know, it, it does owe a lot to scanners, but I still think it's a fun concept and it's pulled off well here. So for me, I would give this one probably a six and I would say stream it on Shutter for sure. All right. So, Dave, what about your review of The Wrath? Right. The Wrath, it's a 2019 film because I think that's when it was released in the U.S., it is from South Korea, and a quick uh, overview, this is from IMDb, in the household of Lee Jean-jin, 
a high-ranking official of the Joseon Kingdom. Three sons die from an unidentified horror. A woman pregnant with the child of the third son soon learns of the evil spirit that haunted that haunts the house. Uh, okay, I guess that works. It's a, it's a little simplistic, but that works as to uh, as to what's going on generally here. Uh, and it is a, a a supernatural film. It's set in the 14th century, so it's set you know uh, a long time in the past. And I thought they did a good job, uh, you know, I guess bringing that era uh, to life. But what really got me about this movie, and I think about the the Asian horror films that that are my favorites, and it's The Eye and Juan. The Wrath has scenes in it. And I'm not going to say the whole movie because those two, for me, are just like untouchable. I, I, I love those two films. The original, The Eye, and the original, Juan, obviously. But this movie has moments that rival the scares of those other two films. There are jump scares wow. and there are just significant... Um, uh, there's, and it is kind of, I, to bring up the grudges, it, this is about a ghost looking for revenge. It's about an angry spirit and a very angry spirit. We do get the backstory as to what happened to find out, you know, what it is that drove this, the spirit, uh, to seek this revenge. And, um, you know, it's perfectly <laughs> understandable, but yet there's never a time when, we're sort of on the spirit side because of it. How do I put it? There's just, there's just this, this, this level of evil that has crept into pretty much everything the spirit is doing. And, um, it's almost tangible in a way. Uh, I, I was waiting for a scene set in the snow. I was, I was talking to Josh about this before we started recording. I'm like, I hope there's a scene in the snow so we can somehow get this into this episode because I did want to talk about this movie. <laughs> um, and finally, in the last minute and a half, there's a scene set in the snow. So I'm like, oh, thank goodness. It okay, counts. We, we could, it counts. We could, we could talk about it. Although it's, you can tell it's set in the winter because you can see the breath uh, as people are talking. Um, so it's definitely set in the colder months. It's just we don't actually get that snow until the very end of, of the movie. But there's a, an exorcist that's who's brought in, becomes a major character from the time he's introduced uh, through the rest of the movie. Um, and it's violent. I mean, there's, there's some significant violence. There's a very disturbing scene involved. I'm just going to say involving uh, somebody sitting down to a meal where um, they're not eating exactly what they thought they were eating. <laughs> um, there's, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's got a little something for everyone. If you're, if you like supernatural films, if you like the, the quote unquote J horror, I mean, this is not J horror, obviously it's K horror, but if you like the J horror of the early two thousands, it's, it's, it's got, um, it, it's, it will, uh, you'll be satisfied with this again. It's, it's, it's a lot like the grudge. If you like, or I should say Juan, the original Juan, it's a lot like that. And, and if you, like that movie. Um, and there's gore, there's gore in there. And, uh, plus the setting, I really liked how they took this movie, you know, hundreds of years in the past and, and really brought that to life. I would give this, um, I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. And I think it's one that wow. you definitely need to stream and, and see, 
Uh, and it's not long. It's like an hour and like just a little over an hour and a half. So it's not a big investment of time either. It's it's well worth seeing. That's one I wanted to get to before I made my list, but um, didn't make it. Didn't get yeah. to it. And, did, and with it being an eight, it wouldn't have made my list. But I could see this if we had ex- expanded the the honorable mentions out to uh, ten instead of five. I probably would have had this definitely in the honorable mentions. Oh, cool. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like one worth checking out. All right. So that's The Mind's Eye and The Wrath. And uh, now I'm going to do a post-mortem review for We Are Still Here from 2015. And We Are Still Here is a motion picture written and directed by Ted Gagan. And it stars Barbara Crampton, the great Barbara Crampton, Andrew Sinsenig, I think is how you pronounce it. Lisa Marie, Larry Fessenden, there he is again, and Monty Markham. So it's got a great cast. It is about, just a real quick, the, the Imdaba uh, quick description is, in the cold, wintry fields of New England, a lonely old house wakes up every 30 years and demands a sacrifice. And it is the tale of a middle-aged couple, played by Barbara Crampton and Andrew Sinsenig, they are they've lost their son and they have moved to this new home in the countryside and the mother uh ann begins to feel like there's a presence and so as the movie progresses we learn that there is in fact uh, a presence of sorts but it may not be who or what they think it is and as the story goes on there are elements of mystery And there are elements of, um, without giving anything away, because I feel like one of the movie's stronger points is how bat spit crazy it gets (laughs) Uh, in in the (laughs) final act there. Um, And it, uh, but I will say this from the from the winter point of view, I loved the establishing shots and the slow lingering takes of the countryside. It, It in a way reminded me like. A lot of it in this movie was to winter what Halloween four, in my opinion, has the greatest opening credit sequence and how uh, autumnal that is. Like it just those long, I just love those, those long lingering shots. I, I, yeah. almost, I almost feel like I would be okay with maybe like a, I guess it'd be like a Terrence Malick movie or something where it's almost like this, you know, what, what would you call it? Like a lyric poem, like this visual, visual poetry of just lingering shots of that kind of thing. Cause it's just so beautiful to look at. But the movie feels cold. I mean, they, in my opinion, really did capture that it feels like they are in a really freaking cold environment. So, uh, and I, it, I, yeah. I'm pretty confident they shot it <laughs> in the cold because I believe one of the, without giving it away, there, there's some scenes in a basement and there's a reference to how hot it is down there. But I believe at some point you can actually see people's breath. <laughs> so, uh, right. yeah, it, it is, it is definitely cold. Um, so here's the thing. There's a lot about this movie I liked and then a lot about this movie I'm not sure <laughs> how I feel because I loved the buildup. I actually think one of the criticisms I, the few, I, I, after I was sort of honed my own thoughts and I intentionally did not see what you guys, because I know you guys have already reviewed this. I almost did. I was like, well, what did Josh and Dave think? But I know it would have totally swayed me one way or the other. So I'm like, okay, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. But I did read a couple <laughs> of little comments that people had made and it seemed like the main beef anybody might have with it would be that it does have this kind of slow buildup 
to when some things really start to happen. I personally loved that. I mean, I thought there's some moments in the basement um, and with some characters and just creeping around the house that I found absolutely creepy. Creepy, creepy, creepy. And and I actually preferred it when you didn't get a clear shot of certain entities, let's just say. Um, they were okay when they finally, you know, again, when, when the thing goes bat spit crazy. That was okay for me, but... Right. I just feel like the the buildup I prefer when you just you don't know like what am I seeing especially since you had this subplot potentially of their son which I actually found a more intriguing idea because that idea you know anybody who's lost someone close to you whether it's a parent or a, a child or, or a sibling or whatever when you when you lose somebody that you were super close to like that idea it's creepy that they could be there, but it's also really comforting that they might be there. <laughs> so I thought it was like a really interesting idea to explore. And I feel like it didn't really explore that enough. Now, this is a short movie. It's like an hour and 23 minutes. So it's it's pretty short. And maybe it could have benefited from a little bit more with that element of the story for me. Like that would have been something I would have been more interested in knowing about. Um, but again, it does end up in a place where I don't think you expect it quite to go. Uh, I mean, you definitely are given hints of of people's motivations and things that are happening, but I just feel like where it ends up <laughs> with, with, I guess, lack of a better way of putting it, and hopefully this isn't a spoiler to say siege narrative, I feel like is where you sort of end up right. <laughs> uh, in, in the movie. And the gore, because it is so subdued at the beginning, when things get gory and violent, it's very jarring. And it's like, I am definitely, I am no prude when it comes to gore by any stretch. But it's like, when it happens, you're like, what? Good God, what, what just happened? <laughs> you know, because it, it, it just, it feel, it's almost to the point where it felt uneven. Like, it just was like, it was so, it, it wasn't, I, I don't know quite how to put it, but it basically just felt like we went from this slow kind of almost, you know, 70s era buildup, changeling potentially kind of story to, you know, dead alive i think there is a well, style of indie horror that is going this direction uh, and i think it's kind of a movement in a way okay like, i i think actually the movie that i talked about just barely is in a similar style that one's more off the wall but um joe Begos's new film you know bliss it, it's like an art house film but then all of a sudden there's like insane splatter gore and over the top, almost like like you're saying, like almost like a Raimi or Peter Jackson yeah. style of gore. And I think that is like a I think that's a movement that's happening in independent horror right now. But see, I don't know how I feel about it because it's like I didn't I don't dislike it because those those are two like the two styles of the movie are two styles I like. But I think the problem mm -hmm. is I'm I'm just trained to expect one style or the other and then right. get it consistently. And and if it does take a shift and a turn, it's it it doesn't feel quite as heavy. I don't know, heavy handed might be better way of putting it, but clunky. Like it, it just it doesn't feel as natural to the overall story for it to go to the degree that it does. At least that's how I took it. I hear you. I, I enjoyed I mean, it a lot more than you did, but I hear yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, for me, it was my number one horror movie of 2015. Was it really? <laughs> it really was. Yeah. Oh, wow. And a lot of it, because it's also was influenced by Fulci's House, on, House by the Cemetery. Okay. That uh, it had a lot, you know, the stories are similar. They have these, these basements that act as a portal for this evil. 
Um, and of course the gore Fulci, you know, was, uh, uh, he's got the nickname, the Godfather of Gore, I think, as well as, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis. I think they both have that nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved that aspect of it and I liked how crazy it gets. I, I do like, I don't mind tonal shifts in a movie if I'm on board and mm-hmm. if, if I'm, if I'm in tune with the characters and I'm on board. I liked where it went. I liked that scene with Larry Fessenden uh, towards the end. Oh, yes. Yeah, it was really good. he's channeling. Yes. So I really liked that. Yes. And just where it went and how this, it's like this house needed a sacrifice. Yes. And it ended up getting one. Yes. If you think <laughs> about one of my it. favorite lines, one of my favorite lines was this, was it, it's good to have, what do you say, fresh souls? <laughs> so yeah. he says, good to have right. fresh souls in, in the house. Like, wow, that that's a weird thing to say, <laughs> to put it quite yeah. like that. Yeah. So no, right. and I want to make sure I'm clear on this. I didn't dislike this movie. I just I always feel I always feel like I don't know exactly how I feel. I just watched it last night. Okay, so I always mm-hmm. feel like I need to process the movie a little bit and maybe see it again because there were right. so many things I liked about it. Um, but then there were things that I just I didn't. I, I mean, I literally said out loud a couple of times, like didn't see that coming. <laughs> I just right. I didn't see that right. coming. Uh, but I feel like I also did not like this movie the first time I watched it as much as then I really liked it the second time I watched Interesting. it. Interesting. That's possible. We we revisited this on I guess Dave had reviewed it by himself all the way back on episode seventy six. Mm-hmm. And then when we did our uh, Lucci's Gates of Hell trilogy episode where we did City of the Living Dead, The Beyond, and House by the Cemetery, we revisited this because it was so heavily influenced by Fulci. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, and at that point, Jay and I also reviewed it. Um, let's get your re- let's get your ratings before we get into our old ratings. But okay. Um, yeah, I I hear you. I think you know what it also reminds me of is that weird tone I love in Korean cinema where we're not trained to see movies this way. That's true. And so that's, yep. and so that's kind of what I think feels so weird and fresh about it. Like the movie Thirst is the most bizarre combination of feeling like you're in a soulless saw movie <laughs> and then all of a sudden like wacky comedy and then crazy gore. Like they just don't necessarily feel like what we think should go together. It doesn't mean that you have to like it just sure. because it's new and different, but I think that is the reaction I have had to it as I've gotten more used to it. Yeah. I, I think what it is, it's almost like I like both of these movies that this movie is. Like, I like them both. Like, I feel like there's two different movies, even though it's all, it's not like, and I don't yeah. say that in a yeah. pejorative, like it's yeah. like the story is all over the place. It's like, no, I just, it feels tonally in a sense but but it's so it's very subtle like the it's it's hard it's so hard to explain it's like the tonal shift isn't extreme. it's not like from dust till dawn extreme to me it's not like that right but but it's right. Uh, but it's not but whereas even that movie you know you kind of you get that sense like when it makes the shift it's like it's all in i kind of feel like on some level maybe what it was is that some of the latter part was still trying to keep i think a level of the creepiness maybe i mean it was still pretty much balls to the wall you know, gore and and, uh, and shock value, but it right. and I liked that. Like, but I kind of feel like had that been the whole movie, I would have absolutely loved it. And then had or it had it been the creepy, subtle, like that thing that just moves out your corner of your eye kind of movie, I'd have been fine with that too, and I would love that. But then when they were meshed together, the way this they mashed these two together, I kind of feel like yeah, I love 
you both, but I just don't know how I feel about you together. I just, I, I don't, I don't know. It's a weird feeling. So for me, <laughs> this movie was a seven. So, and I have, I will say it's fluctuated. It's like it went to like, I think it's actually fluctuated since we started recording down to a six, then back up to a six, five. And now I'm back to a seven again. Last night when I finished watching, I was like, ah, oh, this is at least a seven or 7.5. But then I, again, I just, I don't, I feel like I have to process it. That's the best way to put it. And maybe like you said, Josh, I need to watch it again. And it will improve maybe with each watching. I don't know that it necessarily will for you, but I I didn't remember liking this. And then Dave came in so high on it, I went back and revisited it for that episode. And I was like, oh, yeah, I liked this. <laughs> I like this a lot. Okay. Well, it's a seven, um, though. And I definitely recommend yeah. checking it out. It's on Shutter, so absolutely check it out. So on episode 146, when we did our Fulci Gates of Hell trilogy episode, I gave it an eight and called it a high priority rental. I also said it might have slipped into my number 10 spot on my top 10 for 2015 if I'd seen it at that time. Mm -hmm. And Dave gave it a nine, said buy it. And he said, it yes, it would have been his number one film of 2015 if he'd seen it for mm. that list. So. Wow. Well, I'm not too far off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, don't, I don't feel like I'm completely <laughs> outside of the arena here. Okay. Sure. Right, cool. And right. The, there's nothing wrong with you. if you were. If you said it's I know, a two, I know. that would have been I like, know. that's cool. <laughs> well, no, I wasn't going to call it a two. Because like I said, there's a lot to like about it. I mean, just, and I liked a lot of the, the actors that show up in it. And uh, I, I, I love Lisa Marie. I don't feel like, I mean, I know she was sort of for a long time there with Tim Burton's muse or whatever, but I uh, always enjoyed her. And I don't know, I infested it, like you said, that one scene in particular was great. And, and the way that culminates, I, I literally said out loud to my wife, I was like, didn't see that coming. <laughs> I thought so, I thought that was going to go a whole different direction, and nope, nope. So, uh, but yeah. So for me, it's a seven. Strong rental uh, on Shutter, of course. And uh, that is, we are still here from 2015. All right. So that wraps up the Shutter Screaming Online segment. To try Shutter free for 30 days, go to Shutter.com and use promo code HMP. That's S H U D D E R dot com and promo code HMP. There it is. And now we will go into our collector's crypt. Demon possessed. Three college couples take a snowmobiling break in a remote Northwoods location. Ooh, some tough guy. After a drag race ends abruptly in a crash. They search for shelter, finding a boarded up children's camp, once run by a murderous religious order. By one, the students succumb to the demon's fiendishly original mayhem. Unleashing the horror of a night of murder. Going to be a cold day in hell. Demon possessed. All right, welcome to the Collector's Crypt. I'm super excited about this one. Not as excited as I was when I saw the cover art for this film. <laughs> 
I was like, oh, this is going to be my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> so basically, there's this producer named Christopher Webster. I don't know if you're <laughs> familiar with him, Joel, but you will be as soon as I start talking about him a little bit. Okay. So he was the producer of Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2. All right. Uh, he's the producer of Heathers. All right. And, and more recently, Dead Girl. Okay. And he was the producer of a film I know you're familiar with called Mind Warp. Oh, with Bruce Campbell. Heck yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, so, oh, wait, oh, wait, wait. Well, he was a producer on all three of those early 90s Fangoria straight-to-video movies, Children of the Night, Sever Ties, and Mind Warp. Oh, my God. That's exactly it. I am way so too excited, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, so Christopher Webster, he started his <laughs> own little movie studio in Wisconsin. And he knew nothing about the area. I don't know why he ended up going there, but he they had, I think, again, tax shelter money. And I think they had um, $400,000 for three films each. So each film would have a $400,000 budget. And with that, they made Trapped Alive, The Chill Factor, and what was the other one they made? Maybe The Inheritor was the other of those three that they made in Wisconsin. Okay. And they shot all of those movies back to back to back in this place called Eagle River. Now, Eagle River is a small little town nobody's ever heard of except it's the snowmobiling capital of the world. So anyone who's into snowmobiling, it's like the Mecca because everyone goes there for the giant competitions and all of the world's best snowmobilers are there all the time and competing there against each other. So they've built this little studio in a warehouse there. I think maybe even in the summer camp that appears in this film – might be part of the studio that they started and they start hiring locals and they make these, a bunch of these low budget films. And, um, two of them were just recently released on arrow video. And so they're kind of coming out of nowhere. People haven't really seen these movies before the chill factor. When it was originally released on VHS was called demon possessed. And it was really hard to get even back then. Um, and then when they went back to the original print to restore it for, Arrow video, the print said the chill factor on it. So they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Did not know that was a title, but cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So they, they, and then they went on be, due to this, their success of kind of proving themselves on these films on Trapped, uh, Alive, and The Chill Factor, and, and The Inheritor, I believe it was. They went on to do the Fangoria films and work with Trauma. <laughs> and so, yeah, they, they're just this really interesting little piece of, you know, American horror film history. That's interesting. In, in Wisconsin, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. I, w- so- I, I, w- I did want to say real, something real quick. When I saw you were going to review the ch- uh, chill factor, is it sad that the first movie I thought it might be? And then I was like, well, obviously it couldn't be since this is for HMP was the Skeet Ulrich starring 1999 cheese ball action movie. Do you remember that one called chill factor? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't remember that either. Okay. Sorry. Oh. I guess just me. That's a retro movie geek thing. There you go. <laughs> no, so I mean, if you look at the poster that's on IMDb, that's a pretty cool poster. Like I, I'm digging it hard. But if you look at the Arrow video release, you're like, "Wow, this is amazing!" It's a guy with a snowmobile mask shattered, and then an icicle sticking in his eyeball. And you're like, "Okay, I'm 100 percent in on this." Movie. <laughs> and uh, when I read the Description as well. So this is from IMDb. It says a group of snowmobilers become trapped on a lake and hole up in an abandoned camp. What they don't know is that the camp was once used by a satanic cult for its rituals and still is. So uh, very exciting stuff here. Now, the other movie that we referred to earlier, Ghost Keeper, 
that starts with some snowmobiling. That's literally just people driving up to an exterior and parking their snowmobiles and then getting off. Mm-hmm. This movie starts out with like a five minute snowmobile stunt sequence. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> like, wow. If you could go back to 1993 and it feels more like 1986, but you know, they, they actually got these Hollywood stunt guys, had them come out here and work you know, for less money and and no unions and, and just kind of, you know, no safety rules. And they hired these local snowmobilers who are world-class world champion snowmobilers to go out and um, choreograph these snowmobile stunt sequences. So they're actually pretty cool. Like they're not, okay. Cool is the wrong word. They're very (laughs) fun to watch. They're really lame and cheesy and goofy, especially with the music that feels like, they took Mannheim steamroller and then tried to rip off a little bit of John Carpenter and stick it in there. <laughs> wow. That is an awesome, awesome, awesome comparison. Mannheim really steamroller. It's like you just digital bumps, bumps, bumps. <laughs> like, like it, it definitely feels like an aerobics video soundtrack made it into this movie. Wow. Uh, oh, but wow. fun, definitely fun. And, um, I don't know. I just really, really enjoyed these films. Now, I referred to the kind of scorching hot bathtub scene with no nudity in The Ghost Keeper. This movie has two sex sequences. One is a really long lovemaking scene with no nudity, and it's just so long. Like, you're just like, what? Like, why is this such an extended scene? And there's not even any duty. Like, it's just really awkward. Like, they're going through a lot of trouble, like Austin <laughs> Powers level of trouble to cover up bits and pieces here. <laughs> so, um, anyway, it, it, it's, I was disappointed because I, I had really high hopes for this film. I thought, okay, I'm going to un- uncover a really great 80s gem. And when I finished it, I was like, eh, eh, I was okay. And then I was reading kind of the liner notes that Arrow Video had released, and they really are building it as a so bad it's good movie. And if you think back about it like that, yeah, it's borderline. Like, it's definitely watchable. And it's in that vein of, I wouldn't say that it's so bad that it's good. You know, they were comparing to films like Troll 2, and I just don't, I don't think that's reasonable. No, no, <laughs> but, but the back not. the back of the Arrow box, I, I kid people that starts with, the Exorcist meets the Winter Olympics in this tale yeah, of exactly demonic right. possession and snowbound slashing. <laughs> and it's absolutely neither of those things. <laughs> like wow. all of that is false. That entire description. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, but it's a lot of fun. You know, there's this, the opening scenes when they're in this, um, like tavern are really ridiculous. It's like some of the worst overdubbing, you'll ever see you've got this group of friends. I think there's six of them. They're on this snowmobiling trip. One of the guys is a player for the Minnesota Vikings. And so he's this big tough guy that nobody in the bar wants to mess with. And they're all, the guys are just like razzing each other. Like, Oh, I I bet I could get my snow machine up to a hundred miles an hour. Oh yeah. Well, I could get mine up to 120. And so they're (laughs) having this ridiculous conversation Meanwhile, one of their girlfriends has had this deadly premonition that someone dies in this a snowmobile wreck. And so she's just waiting for her premonition to come true. So they find out from the bartender, oh, yeah, there's this great riverbed 30 miles out of town where you can go and drag race your snowmobiles. So they do it. They head down to this, this riverbed <laughs> and they have this 
uh, Rebel Without a Cause Drag Race. Uh, this on sounds vehicles. amazing. Oh my <laughs> god, this sounds. I was, out- I was just going to. I was just. I was just going to say, man, this it's I'm I'm really anxious to see. Dude, this I'm going to buy this sight unseen from Arrow. This is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they have <laughs> good. I, it, it's always funny when I review a movie really poorly, and then you know, one of our listeners, like Dark Mark, for sure, every time is like, "Hey, you know that movie you give a point five to? I watched it this weekend based on your recommendation. Like, how could you have, how could you say the words based on my recommendation? Oh, man, you sold me on this, Josh. You had me at uh, I probably even before that, but but at snowmobile drag racing. I'm like, I'm so in. I'm so in. So they had I, I won't give too much away then since apparently everyone's going to watch this movie, but um, there's an act. The premonition comes true. We find that out in the first 20 minutes, her premonition that she's had comes true. And so they decide they need to get help. And while some people go for help, others find themselves holed up in a summer camp uh, in the winter. So it's five feet of snow outside, but you know, they're in a abandoned summer camp. And apparently in during the summer, this camp is used for some kind of Christian or religious camp. And the symbology within the building is really extreme. You know, when Christianity looks scary, you know what I'm talking about? Like the, the girl's like, I'm Baptist. This is all foreign to me. The guy's like, I'm Catholic. And this is intense for me. (laughs) 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 It's kind of funny, but, um, there, you know, there is some kind of evil spirit and that's what, that's the problem. The setup that I've described to you is great. And then the threat arrives and it's just not great. It's just, it's not what you want it to be. You want it to be much more intense or at least as goofy as a troll two, where every scene is some kind of scene that's so creative and so off the wall. You've just never seen it before. This is not that I would just say it's middling, uh, for the second half of the film still worth watching for people who like so bad or good movies. And I would think this would be a fun group watch. And again, a great double feature with ghost keeper, which has a beautiful blu-ray release and is streaming for free on Amazon prime. So, um, for me, the chill factor, I would say the film itself is a probably five. (laughs) (laughs) It might be generous. Um, But yeah, I would say if you're into so bad, it's good. Just schlock. Don't mind watching bad movies. It's a high priority rental recommendation or even a purchase because the Blu-ray, which we're talking about for the collector script is really, is really nice. It's a great transfer. Um, I compared the VHS transfer, which was all there was, you know, before this to this transfer, and it's considerably better. Um, the soundtrack sounds good, I guess. So you can hear it clearly. Let me put it that way. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> the soundtrack is terrible, but you can hear it really well. <laughs> and uh, there's some fun special features. They interview the guy who did all the gore effects. Um, they interview the production manager. They couldn't get any of like the, the actual directors, producers, people, but they have like kind of, you know, people who are involved in the production and they're, they're fun. And there's a, there's a good, uh, commentary track as well, which I thought was, was really good. It's funny because people are kind of throwing some shade on the special effects makeup guy who is now a name, uh, but wasn't at the time. Is it Hank Carlson? Is it Hank Carlson? Jason Grooms and I interviewed him on Forgotten Flicks years ago. Uh, I'm not kidding. Yeah. Yeah, it is Hank Carlson. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he had worked on some big budget films. 
He did. Oh, wait. Maybe I'm not thinking of the right guy. Well, Hank Carlson, who did the, the effects work, according to IMDb, on this movie... It was a um, uh, no. It was Hank. It was Hank Carlson. There is there actually is an interview with Hank Carlson. Okay, he was not the main special effects guy though. He was kind of like an intern on it, office intern that ended up working in special effects. Uh, the main guy was Jeffrey Lyle Siegel. Okay, um, and he had worked on Reanimator and Henry Portrait of a Serial okay. Killer, and they brought him in to do Trapped Alive, um, and but he had made kind of this big mistake where he put some kind of toxic solution as blood on one of the actors and the actor was allergic to it and it ran in his eyes and he couldn't shoot for two days. He couldn't see and they thought it was going to blind him. And so their relationship fell apart. Um, And so he ended up kind of leaving the film. And I think that's what happened is the other guy uh, that you interviewed, Hank Hank Carlson would have then maybe taken, taken over the project after that. But yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, there's some fun special features. They're not fantastic. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're jaw-dropping special features. But you know, there, there's some of the things you'd crave, which is some good behind-the-scenes discussion from people who were there and and can tell the tale of what happened and how it all went down. And and so it's fun. And the movie looks as good as it's gonna. So and again, like <laughs> if you're into like 80s, like snowmobile action this is a video worth checking out for sure so that's my review for the chill factor i don't know if you looked it up yet joel but if you look at the cover art from arrow uh-huh if i had seen this on the video store shelf this would have been B- like it. oh Absolutely. yeah Sight i gotta see yeah. it immediately yes i can't even figure out what the hell's going on there yeah <laughs> <laughs> well that's, that's what i bought it immediately i thought it looked amazing i was just like okay this looks like a movie was made for me that i didn't know existed yeah yeah <laughs> i mean even the stills like the still images just because i mean i know this is 93 but to your point it looks late 80s it looks or, mm-hmm. or very early 90s and yeah uh it, it just oh man like everything about this the fact that it's connected to those early fangoria films and mm-hmm. all uh, everything that is i i've got to say like this is this is jump no offense ghost story but this has jumped to the top of my pile <laughs> for this episode and again i i do recommend it as a double feature with ghost keeper if you're gonna watch either of them, which I I don't know that I'm really recommending either of these movies. Let me be clear about that. <laughs> it's okay, Josh. We won't be mad at you. I promise you, we right. will not be mad at you okay. if you recommend them. Uh, and you're and you're not saying though to watch the Skeet Ulrich Cuba Gooding Jr. 1999 Chill Factor movie. Certainly not. Okay. Suggesting anyone watch anything with Skeet Ulrich other than Scream. Uh, well, hello. Oh. Come on. <laughs> All right. So that, I believe, wraps up our collector's crypt. Thank you for that, Wolfman. That was fantastic. And I guess, if I'm not mistaken, that wraps up this part one of our Winter Chills series. Yes. And I do have to give credit. That snow ghost comes from an episode of Scooby-Doo. So I, (laughs) I didn't come up with that myself. Yeah, make sure you give credit where credit's due, man. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> that made me laugh out loud when I saw that that's snow ghost. And uh, because I'm a, I'm a dad and that's a dad joke. <laughs> that's a dad quality joke right there. All right. So we will then wrap it up. And, but I will say before we do our usual, you know, where can you find everybody online? I did want to do a mea culpa. If I can, I realized this immediately yeah. after recording 
our top 10 episode. And uh, I, I don't don't know if anybody has figured out that I wasn't technically there for all of it. Uh, Josh and Dave are both troopers. Josh is an amazing editor. Uh, and I was able to be a part of it, which I'm very thankful for. Uh, but my entire family had the flu, blah, blah, blah. We, we, we all survived. But I realized I left out a movie that I wouldn't have been top 10, but absolutely should have been in my friggin' honorable mentions. Absolutely. And I felt guilty because i let my kids down <laughs> i left i let Aww. i let i let the, <laughs> the listeners of the show down i i nay i let i let my my just the world down i feel like uh because you know they care that i didn't mention as an honorable mention godzilla king of the freaking monsters how yeah how did <laughs> i not how yep. did that go like through that whole episode and not even mention it well, right. it's because you weren't there when we were talking about it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. I, I, that's probably, right. Yeah, serious. Because if you had done that, I would have reshifted. I, I I liked In the Tall Grass, but it absolutely would have been in my honorable mentions. No offense to In the Tall Grass, but ahead of that. I just, I didn't yeah. even think about it. Didn't even completely missed it. So I I felt so bad. I apologized to my, they're like, it's okay, dad. Just, you know, can you correct it? <laughs> I was like, right. I was like right. um, well, I said, but I'll do a mea culpa. I'll, I'll come on and say, my bad. I apologize to all the Godzilla fans out there because I liked that movie quite a bit. And yeah, yeah. completely forgot to mention it. Mm. They, they, they said, don't worry, dad, it'll all come out in therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that, yeah. Believe me, that's the least of the problems. You'll pay for it later. Yeah, for sure. I also need to do another mea culpa as well. Um, there is a film called Snatchers that our good friend Kagan Breitenbach, a friend of the show, he does the theme music for this podcast and, Universal Monsters cast, where he's also the producer of the podcast. Um, he helped out on this movie called Snatchers, which played at South by Southwest and Sundance and Sitkiss. And he wasn't the main composer, but he did do some sound editing on this film. And it has just had a crazy life. It originally split into web series, and then they put it together into a film, and then it got put into an anthology. And anyway, it's finally in its final form. And it is a feature film, and it is available on DVD and Blu-ray. And I and I told him I would watch it before the end of the year, and I didn't. And I, I told him I would tell people about it, and I didn't. <laughs> so I'm doing that now. Check out Snatchers. I think you can see it several places online, uh, but you can also buy the physical media. And I don't think that Kagan gets any support directly, but um, you know, it's you're cool su- to support. You're supporting his that- art, yeah. Yeah, we're supporting things that people we love are involved with. Yeah, so. absolutely, that's fantastic. And this is and this is the uh, directed by Stephen Cedars. Yes, that's the movie. Okay, I'm just and Benji Kleiman. Yeah. Yes, Benji Kleiman. Okay, all right, very cool. So that's it for this episode. Be sure to follow Wolfman on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. Wolfman also appears on the Gods and Monsters, a Universal Monsters Cast podcast. You can follow Gods and Monsters at MonstersCast on Twitter. And be sure to read Dr. Shock's written reviews over at DVDinfatuation.com. You can follow Doc on Twitter at DVDinfatuation. And be sure to check out Dave's YouTube channel. It'll be listed in the show notes, and I believe it is also in Dave's Twitter profile. So uh, go over there, check out. He is doing some really cool videos where he's showing you things, uh, the videos, movies he's bought. He's sharing his collection. It is really cool stuff. So definitely check that out. 
Doc also appears on the Land of the Creeps podcast. And be sure to check out my other show, Retro Movie Geek, at RetroMovieGeek.com, where we're talking about movies that are 20 years old or older. You can follow Retro Movie Geek on Twitter, at RetroMovieGeek, and you can check out some of my older stuff over at ForgottenFlix.com. And we also have uh, something new going on. It's it's something, a little side project that Peter, uh, my, my beloved co-host from Retro Movie Geek, and I had been working on um, off and on for uh, the better part. I think we started in late 2018, and that was like when we had the first episode of something we created called Terror on the Tube, which I may have mentioned before, but essentially we find these 1970s, 80s, and occasionally early 90s made-for-TV horror and suspense thriller movies that we've never, basically we've never heard of. We're, we're, we would love to do Duel and, you know, uh, was it Night of the Scarecrow? You know, things like that, but we've seen those, we love those. These are ones like you've never freaking heard of, okay? And we find them, they're, they're usually only available on YouTube, it seems. Somebody did a VHS copy and, and put them on there. And what we do is we take each one and we put uh, the title on like a scrap of paper, number it, and then we randomly select the number. So we never know what the next movie is going to be. And we intentionally try not to read anything about it. We just go into it cold. So that's been the format. Well, you mentioned Allison with a Y, aka the horror unicorn, and she's actually joined yes. us for the last couple episodes. And it turns out Allison is like crazy, like master level expert on this subgenre, like she has seen <laughs> everything so she I, whatever I, we're wow. pretty much doing these once a month they're a fun little side thing we're doing and she's been joining us she's joined us the last couple she provides some really great insight into these things and and, and you know as Peter and I like to point out and I, it's true of, of all my hosts uh, co-hosts that uh, you know it helps make us look smarter so you know she is doing you know, awesome and it's a lot of fun so if you get a chance I actually just submitted it to iTunes or I guess the Apple podcast now um, its own feed I had been just releasing it as a retro movie geek because like I said it was like once every month or two and but we've got like six or seven episodes in the can and so if you get a chance check out terror on the tube that is a little side thing we've been doing we love reading and responding to your comments so we hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community it's a wonderful group of people. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com where you can find this and all of our past episodes. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at horrormoviecast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. And be sure to get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com forward slash store. You can also become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50 a month. Be sure to check it out at patreon.com forward slash moviepodcastnetwork. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And that's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode. Thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.
wolf's in lodge. Like it even sounds like a wolf. That is a wolf, silly. Wow, what a rundown and creepy place for a weekend of skiing. I know, but it's the only place we could find. Come on, let's go in. This is the young lady's room. The other rooms are across the hall. And, uh, oh yes, a word of warning. Be sure to lock your doors and windows before you go to sleep. <laughs> lock our doors and windows? Why? Because if you don't, the snow ghost will get you. <laughs> and turn you into ghosts. <laughs> going to do, Freddy? Get a couple of snow cars and follow those tracks. I want to find out about our mysterious guest. Oh boy, this ski trip's turning into a real scare trip. Boy, that snow ghost sure gets around. It was my understanding in the little research I had done that the celebration of Christmas had started to die out. And it wasn't until the Puritans came along that it was kind of revitalized in terms of a holiday people started celebrating again. But by that time, a lot of the old traditions were gone. The new version of Christmas was more based around the presents and the gifts and, and all of these you know Christmas trees, which were popularized in periodicals and all of these things that were had become part of popular culture due to the spread of that media form. So hmm. anyway, that's interesting. That's, yeah, probably not for this podcast, but <laughs> well, I, I will say, I will say what it helps us all realize is we have, you know, something to be thankful for uh, to the Puritans. Um, <laughs> there you go. Because that's the one lesson, the it, one lesson we can take from this. Yes. Is that <laughs> we can thank them for bringing Christmas back from the dead. <laughs> Okay, so this is the email from our listener, Pamela, in Salem, Massachusetts. I don't want to butcher your last name, Pamela. Is it Pamela Casares? And she says, hello, gentlemen. Each year I listen to your Christmas horror countdown, and you pose the question, why are we so fascinated with Christmas horror? Well, there are solid reasons, and at least one of them is based in actual tradition. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. is isn't just a line in a song. It was a Christmas tradition back in the Victoria era and before. Telling ghost stories was a Christmas Eve tradition. In fact, it was the Christmas ghost story that Dickens was writing when he penned A Christmas Carol. Supernatural ghosts and scary stories have been part of Christmas for centuries. But even beyond that, Christmas folklore has its monsters and evil beings meant to scare and terrify people in this joyous time of year. Look at Krampus, the Slavic shadow of Santa, who takes bad girls and boys away to hell. Or Labathana, 
the Christmas witch, the Italian crone who visits children on the Epiphany. The Yule goat, although a benevolent creature, is pretty scary looking and roams the forest in December, especially during the winter solstice. Many European countries have some sort of goat figure, creature of the night, woods, or anti-Santa, to correspond with the pagan celebration of the solstice, the longest night of the year, which is similar to Samhain, or, what is it, Joel? Samhain. In terms of the lifting of the veil between the dark world and the light to come once solstice has passed, one internet search will show you all the, quote, evil and scary beings associated with this time of year, rooted in pagan beliefs and connected to traditional Christian celebrations of Christmas. So, historically and culturally, the horror of the holidays has always been present. Add to that, as you say, the beauty of the holidays as a juxtaposition, and you have the perfect mix of scary traditions and present-day celebrations to create a perfect Christmas horror scenario. I would add the fact that Christmas Eve is supposed to be a dark vigil waiting for Christmas morn and flashing red lights also helps set the mood. Take all those reasons, the aesthetics, the history, the culture, and the psychological, and you've got the perfect horror mixture. Oh, and may I add, even Hitchcock recognized it. Psycho, as I'm sure you well know, takes place during Christmas time. I don't think I've ever put that together, actually. Actually, no, I didn't either. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't either. The first screen reads, Friday, December the 11th. The date has no impact on the story arc whatsoever, other than to acknowledge that it's Christmas time. And as Marion drives out of town, we see the street decorated with Christmas wreaths and garland. Even the master knew Christmas and horror went together. So thank you for that email again, Pamela. And I actually, I found an expert that I want to bring on. She's from Day's Neck of the Woods in Pennsylvania, I think at Penn State. And she edited a collection of Christmas horror stories um, from the Victorian era. And I heard her on a podcast that I'll also recommend called um, Christmas Past. So most of that podcast is just, you know, details about mistletoe or mincemeat or other <laughs> elements of the Christmas holiday. But that one <laughs> episode in particular is about Christmas ghost stories. And it was fun and I learned a lot. So much of which I cited on tonight's episode <laughs> without giving them credit. <laughs> so yeah, I would, I would tell people to check that out and, and hopefully we can get uh, their guests for that episode on our show next year for Christmas. But thank you, Pamela. Appreciate that. This just in sharks come out of nowhere on a mountaintop in snow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, they don't try to explain that it was somehow connected to some kind of tributary or, a, you know, a, it's connected to some river than the ocean. And these were bull sharks. Like, not, none of that. It just no, they're there. no, they, they just show some shaman doing. Uh, <laughs> they, they, wow. do, they, they do try to connect them to a st- backstory. Oh, yeah. good Lord. Wow. <laughs> that makes sense. That's awesome. Her- Haunted Davenport background. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She. she yep. It's funny. I feel like we. It was all about us picking a movie that we never heard of. Well, now the goal seems to be finding one she hasn't seen because some of these. <laughs> and I'm serious. Like some of these, I've never even freaking heard of. The horror at thirty-seven thousand wow. feet, starring William Shatner, who of course was in Nightmare Twenty Thousand Feet, the Twilight Zone episode. But it's on a plane. But it has nothing to do with Twilight Zone and its wackiness. Like it is sheer, utter, demonic, weird wackiness. <laughs> I mean, just, oh, they're wow. great. Yeah, great stuff. And you know what? If you get a chance, have you guys seen the Savage Bees from the 70s? I don't know. It may be on the list. I have no idea. All right. If yeah. you get a chance, because that movie 
scared the hell out of me yeah. when I was a kid. Because they talk about how, and I remember then seeing a news a news story a couple years later, how killer bees may be slowly working their way to the United States. Oh yeah, South America, I remember those stories, yes. And scared the hell out of me because I remember that movie. It's got Ben Johnson in it from Terror Train. Yeah. Uh, and it's it just, it, it traumatized me. I saw it way, well, I guess I was six years old when I saw it. I think yeah. it was brand new at the time or something. Uh, and that was made for TV, but still very traumatic. There's something about those seventies made for TV movies and going into the eighties as well, yeah. where, you know, you're like, I mean, God, Salem's lot. Yes. It's hard to, yes. it's hard to imagine that was a made for TV. Yes. Movie, if there's but an it, it atmosphere, was. if there's a quality to them and we just yeah. covered what called she waits, which I think is a great title starring Patty Duke <laughs> and, oh, da nice. and David McCallum. Uh, it, it wasn't necessarily one of our top tier ones uh, that we've watched because it doesn't get quite wacky enough. But it, but right. all of these movies, they have there's just a quality to them that it's oddly comforting. I feel like, Josh, you would appreciate being that you love, you know, kind of like the, the cozy mystery murder she wrote. They, they, they have that same. Mm -hmm. I don't know, je ne sais quoi. Like there's just that. Oh, dude. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I would. I, yeah, I, I would absolutely love it. I. I'll have to live vicariously through listening to your podcast, but I, I think in another life, I would love to be watching and podcasting about these movies. I just, there's not enough hours of the day to even sure. watch the movies. No, that's true. Right. But at, at some point, and of course, you know, you guys, we, we've invited Daryl on. You guys could come on and just do a guest guest spot or something, you know, so if you, but the, the key is, is that whenever somebody comes on, like they, they, you have to do the next movie recovering. So and it's, it's a, it's a bit of a crapshoot, although but for the most part up to the, up to now, they've been a lot of fun. I wouldn't say any of them have been scary, <laughs> per se. Oh, I was because I was going to say sure. I'll be on for the Savage Bees, but I guess I don't. I can't pick the movie. Well, no, but if, if it turns out, if it turns out, we're gonna like we pick the numbers at random. So if we end up with that, and I have no idea if it's on the list because Peter made the list, so okay. I, I have no idea. Uh, I will. I will give you a heads up. So if you're available, you can. All right. Yeah, I would love to talk about that one. Absolutely. The, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Definitely check out the Haunted Davenport. <laughs> <laughs>